Well, happy podcasting day. Uh, if this voice sounds different than the intro that you just listened to, you do not need to adjust your speakers. Uh, I am fighting a cold, so just bear with me. I'm going to sound a little bit different today, but it will not change the fact that we're going to roll out some content for you today, and I hope that you enjoy it. Oh my gosh, it's a good one. Um, at least it has been for me because it's allowed for me to process some of my own personal things, which I hope that I will be able to bring now to you. So if you are new, hello, hello, this is Rachel Vote. This is a Good Girls Guide 2 podcast, and you can find... All the free content you need to get yourself get get yourself get to going <laughs> to get yourself going in your personal development growth spiritual path whatever it is that you are calling it because it is all the same we're all getting there our own ways uh, but you'll get your free weekly podcast right here on Anchor if you're looking for more additional free content you're vibing with whatever I'm putting down make sure you check me out on the following platforms you can find me on TikTok Instagram as well as Facebook at a Good Girls Guide too. Uh, and every Monday night I do free content on the personal Facebook page as well. I've got a VIP page where you have to be 18 years or older and a feminine energy to be a part of it. We're talking about a lot of sexual wellness and intimacy building. And uh, it's just an amazing group, 4,400 awesome women who are mostly local, but definitely just surrounding areas. And we have provided a community where we can talk about the taboo, which is not as taboo as it used to, uh, but it's really an empowering place to be. And again, a lot of free stuff going down there as well. Now, if you are really enjoying uh, this information that you're digesting about your growth and personal development, do remember that you can do the empowerment class, which is just such a fun way to learn a little bit more about your own understanding about personal development and uh, really getting into it and discovering that there's lots of areas of your life, of course, that you can work on, but I tend to believe that there's five core areas that stem from the things that we struggle with. Our relationships were more that more than just your intimate ones, your wealth, which is more than just the money in your bank, mental, mental and physical well-being, because I don't think that you can really separate the two of those. I think they're intricate, intricately linked. The fourth category is spirituality, which I actually now in my place of freedom, I don't know what you want to call it, whatever, development. I actually believe that spirituality is also intertwined with uh, mental and physical well-being, but we are living mostly in a current reality that is so separate from that, and people who do get into the spirituality sometimes are very religious, which still casts some despondency of, around the fact that all three of them intertwine. So we're going to leave them as separate categories for now. You'll get there when you get there. Okay. And then the fifth category I used to say was passion, but we're going to call it purpose from now on because purpose makes more sense. Passion is something you're passionate about. Purpose is something that you're here on planet earth to do. So whether it's something that you're doing to make money uh, through your passion purpose, or you have to volunteer, not have to, but you choose to volunteer or give your time, your energy, your money to other organizations, times, whatever that give you growth and contribution. Um, in your place on the planet earth and that's what that's all about so the empowerment class is really great to hone in on that understand why we think the way we think about anything uh, which I also drop here in the podcast to hello but it then allows for you to get very pinpoint clear on what it is that you want to think about yourself as well as the rest of the world and then getting to execute some of that and if you just love all that or that's just kind of vibing with exactly what you're thinking about doing in terms of moving on with your growth then let's go ahead and just talk some one-to-one -one sessions I am just so excited that there has been an influx of new women coming to me and you could you don't have to be a woman, by the way. I think you know that, but I'll just say that. Uh, in the inbox, inbox, setting up dates to doing the one-to-one -one sessions. It's been fantastic. So a good girl's guide to at Gmail is a good place to reach me. Best ways Facebook Messenger at this moment, uh, but I don't have a preference. So if you like to phone call, give me a call. If you prefer to personally text message, you got me for that too. Whatever works, okay? So today on the plug kiosk, Whew, ah, man, I've got some notes, but I don't even know if I can give you like a beginning, middle and end. So let's just get into it. What we're going to talk about today is generational trauma and generational trauma, I think is it's becoming more mainstream to talk about this. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just an extension of trauma, which I heard this really brilliant rendition of what trauma is. Trauma is not that bad things don't happen to us because that's inevitable. We can't we can't avoid that in any way, shape, or form from a physical or mental, emotional, something is going to happen, even if you catch a cold, right? So you consider that technically something negative, right? Trauma is when we are left with those bad moments to un not heal. So when we're left in our anger and misery and our hurt and we do not heal, that's trauma. And I'd take that one step further. I heard something completely separate, but I think intricately lines in this very well is that trauma is what stems addiction. I'm going to leave that at that. Okay. So 
when we talk about generational trauma, generational trauma, I'm going to get woohoo, but then we're going to get intellectual because the woohoo is not for everybody just yet. So I'm just going to plant these seeds for you. And I've done a lot of research and work on this for myself. And I am a completely different person in terms of alignment with understanding that that whole process in general. But let's talk woohoo for a second. We'll get intellectual. So the generational trauma aspect of it is that we quite literally carry our DNA with us and we carry trauma within our DNA. So when we talk about like, literally holding on to our parents and our grandparents, our great grandparents, trauma, their pain, the suffering that they endured, that is real. And it's hard to say that because I think, you know, you're like, well, I'm one person and I've been myself and I didn't experience those things. So how on God's green earth or within the universe, am I supposed to believe that I'm suffering from something that somebody else went through in any, any capacity? So this is the woohoo of it. You have to think about the fact that when your grandmother was pregnant with your mother, when we're fetuses, babies that are born with ovaries, we are born with all of the eggs we'll ever have from birth. So theoretically, as an ova, as an egg, whatever you want to call yourself, you were in your mommy's womb when she was growing in your grandma. So the three of you were intricately, I've used that word three times already, bound together before you even came into existence as your mother was growing and so whatever happened during pregnancy whatever thoughts and emotions that may not have been of the highest caliber were transferred via vibration and energy to the fetus which we can kind of logically more think about when we're pregnant we know that baby is we quite literally know that baby reacts to you know increased heart rate and tension um cortisol things like that we know that so it's not that far-fetched to think that my fetus would be affected by my emotional stance as well but hearing that revelation of holy crap that's right so embryotically i'm already in my mom when my mom's in my grandma so whatever's happening to fetus is then being transposed to me now too even on a woohoo level like that because genetically speaking, uh, our bodies already existed. The thing that housed our DNA that would be our powerhouse to functioning the bodies that we walk around in was already traumatized before conception. Okay, so that's crazy, but also makes a little bit of sense. Okay, and if you're still like, meh, that seems a little far fetched, well, we'll go ahead and bring in the research aspect of it. You can go and find this information out if you want to. I have read it, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, in multiple sources at this point that talk about this particular research study where mice were subjected to the smell of cherry blossoms. And every time they smelled cherry blossoms, they were shocked, physically shocked. So obviously, whenever they smelled cherry blossoms after that, even if they were not being shocked, they would experience physical pain. The cortisol, again, the stress levels would rise, the heart rate would increase. They were being physically affected by a smell because they were conditioned to do so. Okay, that makes sense. Now, what was odd about that study was that when those rats had babies, those rats, rat babies, that had never been exposed to cherry blossom would still resemble and display signs of fear in the body when when they were able to smell cherry blossoms when they were now present on planet Earth. Okay, so that is just one crazy way that we can really see, again, how that trauma does literally transcribe through the DNA chain. Okay, so that's important because, you know, first when you start doing spiritual work and stuff like that is like a lot of stuff that you're doing on yourself, as you probably know. And then when you start to get a really sound foundation about like either who you are or at least understanding that you're not perfect and you're doing what you can to try to change yourself, you know, then you have to start to incorporate this conversation about the external world and everything that triggers you and all the people that trigger you. And that's difficult because you can't change those things and those people. So it really starts to take a toll on you because you have to pull from all the tools and all the resources and all the time and all the practice and all the hurt and all the pain that you've been walking through for these last hours, months, days, weeks, years, whatever it is that you've been doing your own personal journey, you have to take all of that and then try to apply it to something that you cannot change. So it doesn't linearly work that well, but you do still have to kind of do that. And my what I'm trying to say is like, you're affected by your outside world because you allow it to happen, but that's what you're trying to unlearn. So when we start to put ourselves on one section of healing and go, okay, this is me, I have to work on me, but then I have these other things that I was 
literally pre-programmed with before I could even speak. All right, so I'm working on that in the physical plane, but then I have these things that now I can't even see this thing like generational trauma through DNA. Are you kidding me? Like, how do I even work on that? Well, again, you can get spiritual and who you can literally do ancestral work if you want to, if you're not there yet, you know, Per a podcast we talked about recently, sometimes these things will just slap you in the face where you'll recognize where you're being triggered and go, I don't like to feel this way, so I need to do some inner, inner work about it, whether it's journaling, whether it's whatever, whatever, whatever your modality is to journey to the center of that emotion and memory so that you can either bypass it, well, no, you don't bypass, you always fix, but learn about it, uh, whatever, you know, it's, it's difficult work. It's super difficult work because the other side of that, as we discussed in that same podcast, is that sometimes your trauma is subtle and sneaky. Sometimes it runs subconsciously so you don't even know it's there. You're not even sure what your trigger is or why you feel the way you feel until all of a sudden you can feel that your chest is like thumping super hard because something in the room has triggered you. So the only way I can really try to align with you in this regard is to tell you a story time. Okay. For once a, a great while, it's not about money, which I just think is great because that's, it's, it's been about money for the last few podcasts, but I'm trying to get some good focus going here. Uh, and the nice thing is that if you've been listening for a while, you kind of already know a backstory of this, but I'll keep this kind of short and simple for you to, to be able to hopefully align with what we're talking about today in terms of healing yourself, recognizing generational trauma, understanding that it's really not your responsibility to fix everybody on planet earth, but knowing that you will intersect with other people's paths and journeys and tools and lack thereof as you go through your own because you were programmed by somebody else, whether as a parent, a caregiver, anybody of influence, a teacher, a pastor, somebody so there's a lot to work with and dissect. Any person you've ever shaken hands with or more is permanently in, in, ingrained, I guess, in your brain is where I was going to go with that, okay? So my relationship with my parents, um, as I've mentioned in multiple avenues, that it was a very push and pull. My dad was an independent person. My mom was very much not. Um, and through my own recollection and understanding of myself, I come to know that where I strive to be a lot like my dad in terms of independent and I'll just leave it at that independent, I needed to do a lot of work with healing my relationship with my mom as a grown adult, because although she took such good care of me as a child, gave me the caring, nurturing sides that I would suspect that most humans would want to get from a mother I held a lot of resentment towards her without even knowing it because of that push and pull because of the dynamic of wanting to be an independent person. I had no idea that as I continued to grow up that I would harbor resentment, resentful feelings towards her, not only just when I interacted with her when in regards to it affecting me, but just in her own life. So during her alcoholism, when things got really tough, I had to distance myself from her and at that time, that was just an awareness about her behaviors and actions that I did not agree with. But as I started to grow and she started doing a little bit of healing on her own, she's not, I would definitely say she's in recovery. She is not a full-blown alcoholic. She's much better than she was. She definitely has her vices. And I think that she ends up substituting one for another. She went from alcohol to relationships and she probably started with relationships to get into alcoholism, but is now using other vices to to deal instead of actually dealing with emotions and feelings. So um, once my mom got off out on her own, it was not really pretty. She's kind of bounced around from place to place. She's never really been able to kind of get herself above water. And the reason this is important is because for a long time, she's had a supplement of alimony coming in from my dad. And that has both helped and definitely very much hindered her. Helped because she went from going you know, from a environment where everything was taken care of. She did not really work outside the home and she had not worked outside the home for years before my parents divorced. So it was like a nice stepping stone in terms of here's a little bit for you. <sighs> was it enough? Of course, it probably wasn't enough gear. Like reflecting on what she invested into the family and not having put in a financial contribution. She, she probably should have received more, but I don't roll those dice. That's not my decision to make. And ultimately it probably would have been not for her betterment to receive more because it would have had actually kept her less independent than she is now, I would say. Okay, so my point is, as I fast forward to, this is the final year that she's receiving alimony from my dad. And in a time where I thought I could change my mom, I used to harp at her for making stupid decisions with the money, 
um, you know, having this amazing opportunity where she could be getting ahead and really squandering it, you know, just stuff falling on deaf ears that it was not my place to even tell her to begin with, but two, should have known better that she's a grown adult, she's going to do what she wants with that money, right? So, uh, as, as time progresses and she had burned a lot of bridges, meaning now she's living on her own. She used to kind of live with somebody. So I think that for everybody, that was peace of mind that she was borderline taken care of. And she's been in her own apartment in a not so great city. The last time she lived by herself, it was in a better part of the city. So now she's all on her own. And, um, it's just, sometimes I'm trying to get this out because like, I really want to paint this picture for understanding where I'm sitting over here and it might sound like I'm judging and I'm nitpicking. I am, but it's because I'm dissecting my own biases and judgments that I'm holding over her. And that's important because I started to notice as I became more aware of myself and my triggers and my traumas, that as my mom started to come around me in, in, in this form, in this tool set, in this season of life where I, 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 can, I can feel my heart rate starting to to increase, you know, during an anxiety attack. It's not that the anxiety attack happens and it, you know, leaves me completely in a, as a shell of a person, I guess, for a couple of days before I recognize, holy, holy crap, something tough happened. I should have probably processed that better. I'm getting better at being able to recognize that. That's what my skill set has done. And I, I have said that before on a podcast, so take a shot because I know I say that, but it's important to reiterate because that's what I have mentioned is that Personal development is not about fixing yourself overnight. What it is is about exposing yourself to the traumas and triggers and pain that you used to avoid by eating extra food or having another drink or swiping your Amazon Prime card or lighting up another cigarette or whatever it is that you would do you would do immediately because it would change the state of mind that you're in literally. You would be fed dopamine in your brain so that you would go from this low-level feeling of abandonment to a little bit higher feeling of uh, even ambivalence. Ambivalence is better than rejection and abandonment. So you'll do whatever you can to avoid that feeling. So this is important because I had obviously have not been there. As I just stated, I used to say things to her. I used to comment about the way she lived her life because it made me feel better to tell her what to do. Because if she would fix her life, then it would make me feel better about the kind of mom that I had. I don't have any control over that. I don't have any control over that. And by barking orders at somebody who is broken and does not have the tools for themselves to heal or even move forward, it does them no good. So in the last six, six to seven months, I would say I would dread answering the phone when my mom called or having her come over because I started to notice that I don't think she consciously does this, but because she came from a place where she was always taken care of, she has zero ideas about how to become independent. And it's not from lack of trying from loved ones. I will actually make sure to add that. But she wasn't in a place to receive it when it was being offered because she was so sick in her addiction. Now she'd probably be more receptive to the help because she's better and she deals more than she used to. But she has burned too many bridges, in my, in my opinion. I think that is what's happened. So when she would come over, um, which was what would happen because I separated myself so fully from her and immaturely because I would not tell her that I was stressing. I wouldn't tell her that she was triggering me because I didn't know how at the time I thought it was my burden to bear. I thought I wasn't supposed to tell her, you know, you're being a really shitty person and you've been a shitty parent. So I really need you to back off. And that was the only way I could verbalize it because I was so angry with the letdown of not having a mom and both parents that I really needed and wanted to become the person I should be. And that's all the work that I'm doing now. So in that moment, it wouldn't have been good or healthy for me to voice that anyway. So I was avoiding her. And so what would end up happening is triggering me further because she would eventually just stop by without notice, which would upset me because it was most often when I was working. And sometimes even without consideration, she'd just come in my office while I was like quite literally doing a coaching. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, because again, it was, it was about her. It was, she needed something done. And that was, it was frustrating to say the least. Okay. But again, through, through reflection, y'all, what I can say and see is that being around that only exasperates my insecurities. When she comes to me and needs help, when she comes to me and asks me a favor, it only reminds me of a role I never want. It only further fuels this tiny insecure person inside of me who wanted to be just like my dad and who wants to be independent, but sees that I'm moving and aligning towards my mother who I didn't 
and I'm going to say this, this is going to sound very harsh, but you'll hear my heart because I'm not in the same place, but who did not respect her as a person. I didn't respect the fact that she had been a caregiver. I did not respect the fact that she had invested so much time and energy and love into raising three kids uh, because I was still so angry and frustrated about what I thought she should have been as a mother. And she did the best she could with what she had, and I was not letting her off the hook for that. I was still expecting that somehow, some way, she could correct or fix it, and then I would forgive her. She didn't even know that I felt that way, so for me to lay that expectation on her was pretty asinine and very inconsiderate. But let's bring it back, okay? So when she would be here, so I'm going to give you a very specific example because it was really the moment that tipped the scales for me and being able to recognize myself around her so she'd come to visit and it was another one of those things where it was I need you to do that I need you to do this and there was like big scale things like not just like come change this light bulb in my house it was I, I'm getting sued I need you to go to court with me and I'm like what are you talking about like I didn't even know what she was talking about I hadn't even known that, that was going on you know and so the old Rachel by the way the 2018 Rachel would have gone and done those things because I would have felt obligated because she said to me but I don't have anybody else Rachel and I had to use an excuse, and I did. I said, I can't take my daughter to a courthouse. I didn't want to anyway, right? But she was like, I don't have anybody else, and I just didn't want somebody to go with me for emotional support. And I said, I understand that, and I apologize that I can't be that person for you. And, you know, that's a transitional. I want to break that down in three phases real quick because 2018 Rachel would have gone. It would have gone, and I would have been very bitter about it, and I would have held it over her head, and I would have never cashed in that chip, by the way, or that check. I would have never been like, well, you remember that one time I went to court with you? You owe me this. I would have never done that because that's something that she used to do to me when she was drunk. She used to do that all the time. She used to pull the card of, and you remember when I, yeah, you were supposed to do those things for me. You're my mom. Yeah, you were supposed to do those things for me. You're my parent, but she would still hold it over my head. So I would, I'll never verbalize that to her because she hurt me so much when she did that to me. But I would absolutely internalize it and do the exact same thing. So I would have gone above and beyond to do all the things she needed me to do, even if it meant an entire day at a courthouse that took away from my child, my family, my business building, a, a beautiful, gorgeous day to be at the, I don't even know. But that's 2018 Rachel, okay? And then 2019 Rachel would have said, no, I can't do that for you, mom. Been very adamant and very like matter of fact and very like despondent because again, I was in a place of a lot of anger towards her, not understanding her, very much making it about me and how she disappointed me. So I would have told her as a matter of factly as I could, no, I am not helping you and I need you to hear me say that and I'm going to tell you again. Um, because I was at a new level. I was at a new level of understanding that I needed to put boundaries in place, but I had not healed myself. So I was still operating from fear and anxiety and anxiousness. That's the same thing. Anger is where I was trying to say with that. So it was still very much, you owe me. I need to, I need you to suffer for what you have caused me. And, um, I will just say, by the way, that that was a revelation that was one of those subtle sneakinesses that I did not know about myself. I did not. I mean, I actually, okay, that's hard for me to say because I did know that I, I did know that I was a grudge holder. I did know that. But I think that I was the, the conscious grudge holder that I was and the subconscious grudge holder that I was were two different people. And the subconscious grudge holder was much more vindictive, much more manipulative, much more hurt and broken, by the way. And that's why I operated from that level. But I will tell you that I did not know that it existed. And it was my husband who very lovingly taught me that I was doing that through a, a particular disagreement that we were having and he apologized and I, I, honestly probably wasn't even a situation he needed to apologize. It was probably something that I misinterpreted and then laid on him like it, it was his fault. But after he apologized, he, he said something to me like, you know, I feel like I've said I'm sorry, but it's like you still want to punish me for what happened. And I had to take a step back because I didn't, first of all, I didn't even know what he was talking about. Like I was like, I had to like really read our conversation like through text message and recognize what he was saying was true. He had apologized, but I always had to keep coming back and say, yes, but you still did it. Like, yes, but this is what still happened. Yes, but, but, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. It would always be, yes, you did say you were sorry. And it was like, but I need you to hurt with me as long as I hurt. So I'm going to continue to remind you that you did the thing. So I'm definitely going to forget, but I am not going to forget. So I think that maybe that was the difference between being a subconscious grudge holder and a conscious grudge holder. And the reason that distinction is important, I think, like I said, that's level two. That was level two of awareness for me. But understanding that operating from that level, it's not doing anybody any favors. Because obviously I'm punishing people that I love even when I say that I forgave them. But 
I was not in a state of acknowledgement that that's really the old cliche phrase of drinking poison and hoping that your enemy dies. Because the more that I ruminate on this misconception I had about my partner, the more that I run that story in my brain about my mom not being there for me or being the person I needed to. On top of that, you could throw my dad in there too, right? So every time I tell myself that story, every time, that's a Brene Brown thing, by the way, the story I'm telling myself, right? So every time I replay that emotion or that trigger or whatever, I'm only validating for myself that that's who I am. That's how I operate. I'm a grudge holder. I need you to suffer until I'm done suffering. And when's that going to be? I don't know because I don't even know how to properly heal. So you just better buckle up, Sally, because it's going to be it's going to be a while. So unless you love me unconditionally and you're going to literally hide out in the trenches and wait, I'm going to lose all my relationships. Am I not? Because I'm going to ask you to suffer until I've healed myself and I don't even know how to do that. So that's level two. That would have been 2019. Rachel would have been like, no, I'm not going and I'm definitely not helping you. I can't believe you would expect me to help you. So I'm going to lay it on super thick. Like how dare you think I have time to help your pettiest or your, I was going to say petty ass. And then I was also going to say, fe- I was going to say pheasant. No, I was going to say peasant. I'll get it. All right. I was trying to be dramatic. It didn't work. Okay. So 2021, Rachel. All right. 2021, Rachel is a different person. And I didn't, I, I didn't allow for her to even come in until just this last weekend. So six months in, it took me six months, okay? So through this acknowledgement of, you know, my mom being here, being a trigger of mine, um, that was the that was the first step in the final process, I believe, into the, the stage I'm at with my mom now. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm done growing, by the way. I'm sure that there is multiples of the stages that I'm in, but this is just where I am currently to this moment. So for a while, I was still doing the avoiding thing because I recognized she was triggering me. I didn't know how to fix it. But s- some of the shadow work that I've been doing lately is... Um, recognizing that I've withdrawn a lot and I don't you mean let me know if you watch the Bo Burnham special just just kind of as a weird side note I've never watched a Bo Burnham anything in my life uh, my ex in Cole I believe are fans of his and I get what his um, artistry is about but I had heard crazy good things about this and I watched it and the reason I am asking or curious if you have too is because what I was recently explaining to a couple of people that I talked to um, on a woohoo level is that 2020 for me was something that I felt like I prospered in a year that was difficult for a lot of people. And I, I, I struggled with guilt with that. But I thought that because 2020 was the year that it was, that 2021 was going to be easy for me. Like recouping from that dumpster fire of a year, just thought that everything would have to be easy peasy, but it was actually much more difficult for me than I thought it was going to be. And so part of that was the shadow work I was unaware that I wasn't doing. But another part of that was because I was withdrawing from a circle of friends that had done nothing wrong, but I couldn't relate to anymore. And then also on that, in that same exact breath, recognizing that some of my friends had done that to me. And so I was feeling incredibly isolated and alone. And definitely in my own headspace and world, trying to navigate through this feeling. And the isolation was what I can say now I feel like was more of a protecting thing because it was like, I don't know who to trust anymore or I don't know who's on a level that I'm at and I don't know who's operating from the intentions that I'm operating from. And it's all fake anyway. None of it matters. And we're all just operating from, you know, young, immature children. I mean, I was going through a lot of different types of thoughts and everything y'all but to come out of it where I'm at now it's incredibly relieving because I got stuck in a spiritual circle of the same type of rumination I talk about when we get into like a, a guilt cycle or even a debt cycle you know it's like you do a little you do really well for a little bit and then you stall and then you feel bad about yourself because you stalled or because you should have known better and then you got to pull yourself out of it and you get back to the top and you feel really good about it but then you kind of take a break and you stall and then so you go back in these circles in this particular circle I found myself is that I was an individualism when it came to spiritual growth and development it was not like a f the rest of the world but it was more of a well I can only control me so why even bother like I mean this is it's such a hard concept to even say because as somebody who coaches and I was still very active and I think what it was is that I I had detached from seeking out people that would need or want my services because I was, I, at that moment, I was tired of doing that. I only wanted to do business with people who wanted to find me. And that's so stupid and silly from an advertising standpoint. But um, it also might have been just a protection mode for a rejection. I don't know. But I'm just talking this out as we go, right? But I, I, so I guess this is the best way for me to describe it is that I was very business 
social. I was still doing all the things I needed to to grow my network and you know advance there, but I had withdrawn personally from almost everything. I wasn't making new relationships. I wasn't even checking in on the ones that I had been prior. Um, but that's important because I had really, really withdrawn to a an individual growth cycle, I guess I would say. I was, only, I was only working on me and really putting focus on me. And that is important from time to time. But it led me to have a little bit of sour grapes in my life because it was like, well, nobody else is ever going to get their shit together. And that's not true. Of course, I know that. There's other people who are actively doing what, what I'm doing. You're listening to this, so you're one of them. But I think it was more that it felt like the majority of the mass wasn't. And it would just felt like, what's the point? Like, what is the point if there's only a small amount of us that are doing this work, you know? So not to say that I'm throwing in the towel and not going to continue to do this work for me, but I'm just going to really focus on me. I'm going to do me because that's all I can control. And then I happened to see a TikTok, lo and behold, right? I saw a TikTok that was like the difference between, I think it was actually um, a reference to white people, by the way, and <laughs> being colonizers and stealing other people's practices, which is exactly what we do for sure. Uh, but when, in terms of the spiritual collectiveness, that was the word I was looking for is that for people who are truly spiritual beings, who are really trying to do greater good for humanity, it's not that we take the weight of our shoulders on knowing that we have to change the world. It's that we understand we only change the world by changing ourselves because we're the only person that we can change. And when we operate from that and we own that and we know that all I can do is influence the rest of the world by how I show up. So the more empathetic and the more compassionate I am, the more I choose love and peace over fear and anger, the more I do that, the best, that's the best that I can do. And the more I do that, the little eyes and the little ears and even the mature eyes and the mature ears in my, in my life who love me and love my vibe and are feeding off of that will then choose to do it too in their own right. They won't be a clone of me. They will maybe decide that, you know, recycling's for them or maybe decide that, um, you know, being more green and sustainable is for them. That's the same thing, but it doesn't matter. It, they don't do the thing that Rachel does. They're inspired by it the same way that I was inspired by Maya Angelou and Jesse Lee Ward and, um, you know, um, I would say Dawson Church is a huge, oh, and David R. Hawkins and Abraham Hicks. So I could, I mean, I could go on and on and on about my influences, Tony Robbins and Tanya Rutherford. And anyways, my point is that my bag of tricks is always going to be different than yours. And so to hear this idea that the collective good is what you're fighting for, you're not fighting for individualism, uh, individual good, it, it's true, okay? And you can take that with whatever you want. I've, I've mentioned before that, you know, there is no privacy and consciousness by the way we're all one mind and that's true because you again you can I'm, I'm, I, that's a different conversation for a different day schumann schumann reson, resonance you can look it up okay the entire world sometimes we think about the same things anyways my point is is that for a long time and i don't know how long of a time it was i'd say within the last year or so i was stuck in that me mode and so when my mom would do things that would trigger me or she would say things that I would be like, I cannot believe this woman, like get your shit together. I can't even believe this. You were born so many years before me. I don't understand. Um, when I was able to take a step back and recognize that all I was doing was basically shaming her. I was not offering or teaching or utilizing the tools that I was learning about how you would help somebody else find that or be that or even just hold space for them to discover that they could do any of that or whatever. That was it. That was a shift for me. So I'll tell you this particular story and then um, we'll see how it goes. Okay. So she came by on Saturday. I knew she was coming by. So that was a little bit, little, little bit easier of easing it in because I had the expectation she was stopping by. It wasn't just going to be some random, oh, she's here kind of thing. Um, I did in my heart of hearts hope that she was just coming by to pick up what she needed and leave, but I should have also, and I did know in my heart that that was not the case because as somebody who has been living alone, I suspect that she's probably a pretty lon lonely human being. And so I knew she was going to be here. So um, she and Tony and I are sitting in the living room. We're getting ready to go outside to watch Olivia play in the water. And my mom happens to just like literally out of the blue say, you know, I was walking my dog the other day and this guy was like hollering at me in my neighborhood. And, you know, 
this is quite literally the conversation, okay? I'm not leaving anything out. He was hollering at me, and then all he, he kept just talking about sex, and he was just talking about, like, positions and stuff. And I, like, kind of, like, I think the look on my face was, like, she got it. And first of all, she's just reeling the story out in front of Olivia. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know? And so she says a couple more things that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I said, well... Because she then goes on to say something about him touching her. And I said, he was touching you. And she's like, yeah. And I go, mom, you need to hear me when I tell you that no means no. Okay, so we talked about this conversation for just brief. It was just brief. It was very, 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 very brief, right? I wanted to, one, I wanted her to stop talking about it in front of my daughter. But two, I could tell immediately that it was triggering something in me. And I didn't want to talk about it with her because she was making me, like, of all things, of course, an intimacy coach, I'm like, you cannot sit here and tell me that this you let this happen to you. And not, like, shaming her in victim mode, but, like, I can't believe, I think, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say this because I haven't said it out loud, but I don't know how it's going to come out. I can't believe you wouldn't know better to not put yourself in that position. I, should, I know what that sounds like, but hear my heart, okay? Like, why, why didn't you just say no and get out of it kind of thing? Like, it's that kind of thing. But again, you have to recognize, like, if any of this sounds soul soulless or if you're like, I can't believe you would even victim shame her, you have to recognize that when that kind of thing happens, and I'm recognizing this for myself, is that, again, the mirror pops up and all of a sudden I see what she's making me feel inadequate about. And that's why I'm snapping out of anger and fear. It's not out of love and compassion uh, and empathy of, like, what happened to you? It's, see... You always make me feel like as my parent, I'm going to replicate what you did because I'm your kid and that makes me feel really bad about myself. Okay, so the the conversation, like the it kind of just dissipates. And so we get ready to go outside and I can feel that I'm having anxiety. I can feel like her being here is triggering me. Like this is not good. Like I, I this is going to ruin my day. And I'm quite literally, I'm like, I'm not exaggerating that because the last two or three times as somebody who's trying to get in touch with their awareness, I noticed that after those interactions with my mom that were unexpected or that triggered me from some kind of shape or some kind of way, it affected me the rest of the night. I was, I was distracted and um, detached and not present uh, as much as I would like to be with my family, even though my husband like knows that that's what's going on. So, you know, it takes a lot away from my life when I don't deal with it. Again, it's not my mom's fault that, that those are the things that I think about. It's that I allow those distractions to run my mind after she's left. So as that's circling my brain, I'm like literally saying to myself, you can't, you can't let this ruin your entire weekend. Like this is mid Saturday, tomorrow's Father's Day, like you can't. And so, like, I pop my head out of the porch where Olivia and Tony already are, and I'm like, hey, can you just give me a minute? And, like, I close the door. And this is big. I'm not telling you this story because I want you to pat me on the back or say, like, like I'm validating myself as a life coach. It's because it was a moment of growth for me. And I'll just tell you what I said because I don't really know what to get out of it except for the, the fact that I, I need you to hear that I actively recognized trauma in a generation and decided to do what I could to try to not only fix, but heal and reverse it for her. So, you know, I, I said, Mom, before we go outside, you said something about him calling you. Because she had kind of alluded that the story was like she was walking her dog and it was some guy that was just hollering from her, you know, in her apartment complex. And so then she had said this thing and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like he called me. So I don't know what, what, like what the extent of their relationship is, but it, it definitely she she alluded to the fact that they had been hanging out and they were alone. And she's like, you know, it's OK because he's going to Canada in four months um, for four months or something. So I won't actually even have to deal with him shortly. And I was like, that's not the solution here, mom. I need you to hear me when I say that I believe that you came from a different generation and I was raised by you, so I feel the residual effects of potentially that you feel obligated to do things as a woman and that you have been around a lot of scum in your life. And my dad was one of them when you guys were young. He did the best he could with what he had and so did you. And he's not the same person today, but I believe that you probably felt some type of matronly obligation or that that was how it was perceived to you that good girls did what they were supposed to or whatever but that's not how things are and they should have never been that way but they are not that way today and you know she kind of nodded along and she's like you know I've never had a good relationship Rachel and I said I get that but you have to think about the caliber of men you're hanging out with you know, and she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, think about the places that you, you go to get, grab a drink or go to get dinner, you know, and she's, it, it's, it's pretty, 
it's pretty much what you would expect, you know? And she, she's like, yeah, I get that. And I said, now would you want to date anybody in that bar? And she was like, no. And I go, so then why are you hanging out there? Why are you hanging out there? You have to find people who are like-minded, like you are interested in the same things that you are, you know, just because it's always what you've had doesn't mean it has to be always what you will have. And this is hard because she's like, I well, she's like, I think I attract douchebags. And I said, you're right, you do, but you're actively choosing that. I think that you're programmed not only that you attract a mate that you're supposed to fix, but also because that's what you're worthy of. And that's the deeper concern is that you assume that your relationships are always supposed to be that way. And I got that from watching you and dad. And you have to hear my heart when I say that I have suffered through anxiety and I've suffered through depression because I thought watching your relationship that that's what a relationship was supposed to be. I had to unlearn everything that you taught me and then did not teach me about being a woman, being a wife, being in a relationship. And it's not your fault. I'm not mad at you. I am, but you know, I'm not telling you that. But that's me working through that, right? It was that realization. I said, you've seen my relationship with Tony. And it wasn't like this until Tony. You know, it was all of these things prior to. And I just was very fortunate to find a partner who gave me space to grow and mature and was patient with me. And that's possible for you as well. And, you know, she kind of nodded along. And I said, and let's take this back to regardless of whatever has happened or maybe happened if you think that you led him on, which is probably what you're holding yourself accountable to, is that you think you might have said something that led him on. By the way, that doesn't matter. It never matters. You have the right to change your mind at any time. You can say no. Even if you have made out with him, you can say no. And also, you can lay it down. She's like, I said I wasn't interested. I said I didn't want to do those things. I said, then no means no, mom. That is the thing, is that you are not required to continue explaining to him what your boundaries in a relationship mean. You can even say, yo, you know, if you were able to slow things down and maybe be respectful of me, I think I could potentially be interested in you. But right now, you're coming on a little strong, and that's very unattractive to me. You can say what you want out of this, mom. You could take anything and tweak it or whatever. But you have that power, you have that ability. And I need you to hear me when I tell you that the reason why you're accepting this, it's not your fault, by the way. It's not your fault that because this person is only asking you for sex, only talking to you about sex, because this person thinks that that is the way that they are supposed to bond or connect or get their fulfillment is via sex only, that's their problem, not yours. And it's not your job to fulfill whatever expectation that person has of a woman. Do you understand that? You know, and so she said she did. And we talked a little bit more about that. But, you know, it was it was quite a different shift, obviously. You know, to be able to rest that on her shoulders of it doesn't have to be this way. You have an ability. You have the right to change it. And I need you to really, really, really understand that there is much more here at play than there was even prior to this conversation, you know, um, and I was able to even validate her in that because I said previously your fear would be that if I'm offering friendship and companionship to this person and they're saying, mm, nope, that's not enough. I need to have the sex. You would have fulfilled that obligation because you were so fearful to find out that you could be rejected and abandoned strictly on the basis of a friendship or companionship because that person wanted more and you did not. And rather than being alone, you would take those scraps of anything than something you didn't want to do. And I could tell and feel that connected with her because she said, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do anything with him. It didn't make, I felt gross. And, and her addiction, which I explained to her, she would have potentially done things she wasn't willing to do or didn't want to do or felt obligated to do. And she used the alcohol to get through those things. And this is a much harder place to be because now she's in 2019, Rachel space, right? She might not operate from the place I did where I said, I'll tell you, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to make you feel bad about it. Her place is that she has now been able to get to a place where she doesn't use alcohol to cope. And that makes it more real and more painful and more anything, right? Because she didn't used to have to feel any of those, those feelings. And now she has to grapple and ask herself, Am I not love, love, lovable or worthy enough because I didn't put out for this person? Or is that somebody else's problem? What do I deem as my value? And what do I deem as an expectation that I have for anybody in my life, let alone somebody I want to be intimate with? And how will I stick to that? 
And can I be brave enough and courageous enough to stick to it because I know it's achievable, but I have to be able to survive the uncomfortability of being alone for a little while because I've always substituted that need with something or somebody else. So, you know, that was a big deal because while I was still slightly distracted Saturday, it was not in the same any way, shape or form that I would have been prior. And I even was able to sleep well on that and feel good on Father's Day that I called her and said, you know, I just wanted to say that um, I appreciate you letting me, you know, say the things I said to you. And I really hope you took them to heart because I do believe you are much more deserving of that, what you have put yourself into, you know, up until now, but you're capable of getting past it. And it's not ironic that I'm calling you on Father's Day because I did want to thank you for being everything I needed when I was a kid and didn't get at the time from my father and knowing that that really shaped who I was or being able to survive not getting what I was at the time or whatever. So it was, it was a really great conversation between the two of us. And I don't feel, you know, like somebody needs to give me a trophy or cape, but I do feel more relaxed internally. I feel more at peace. I feel like I did the best I could with what I had and that was just to impart any amount of knowledge or reprieve for her and and knowing that she's on the right path and while it's it's hard and not easy and starting from the bottom when you didn't necessarily deserve it but it's still the hand you were dealt you know i i hope that i was able to give her at least enough support that she could see that and maybe go to a higher class bar next time or a senior center and find somebody that can fulfill her needs on an emotional level before it needs to be a physical level. I told her just to find some girlfriends for a while and that would be much more sufficient than trying to fulfill your need in a relationship. But who am I wanting to talk? Cause I'm a serial monogamist. I've been perpetually taken since I was literally in the third grade. So whew, we all got our things, right? We all got our things. So, you know, um, that's what I would tell you is that if y'all can reflect on something you feel like has been hindering and not helping if it's something that you might have to dissect a little bit larger from an influenced track that's been running in your autopilot dialogue in the back of your head, your chatterbox is asking, you're telling you, who do you think you are? We can't not, not react the way that we always have. You know, this is the thing that keeps you safe. You've always been let down by other people before. So we have to operate from this capacity. We have to be a grudge holder subconsciously and consciously. We have to wish ill for other people because it means more for us. It's all lies. It's all scarcity mindset. It's stuff that you don't deserve and um, it's just not as freeing as quite literally the joy and abundant feeling of unconditional love, which is obtainable. It's obtainable. So be grateful, reflect, process, and keep going. Keep going and don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, doing the work that I've had to do with my mom has unearthed a lot of the nasty things about me that I didn't realize, you know, like putting the focus on the fact that my dad hurt me, but I wanted to be a good person really let me off the hook for a long time into digging into that shadow work because it was just the focus of continuing to be a better person. It was the, it was the continuation of the values that had really benefited me and continuing with those. Whereas doing the really deep work about the resentment I felt for my mother, it's the the light you shine on yourself when you're your ugliest, when you were the least empathetic, when you had the least amount of patience or understanding or wherewithal to see somebody as more than just the role you had placed upon them and really recognizing them as a broken individual who has also suffered and suffered a lot and suffered a lot with not a lot of support along the way. And then realizing that that's a person that gave gave you life. So I hope you got something from the podcast today. Um, ooh, it's three, three, three. It's funny how that works. <laughs> um, I, I sure did. And I think that I might actually lose my voice before my lives that I need to do this evening. Um, but it was a really good chat, really good chat. If you got some value from this, you know, make sure to screenshot this, tag me in your story, just personally message me. I never get enough of those feel good moments of when you felt like you did a little bit of growing or you really connected or even if something was scratching your speakers and you just wanted to check that out and see if it was just your podcast or everybody's. 
<laughs> I let you know at the beginning of the podcast how you could reach me. Uh, just as a reminder, a good girl's guide to at Gmail or Facebook Messenger are the easiest ways to connect with me. Uh, and if you would like to make sure that you're securing your response, response, I guess is what I would say, make sure that you're doing business with me. Uh, I have to start creating a hierarchy of responding depending on the times I'm in, uh, in my, my office. And so I think the next step of um, me planting the seed is just letting you know that I'm always going to be there, but my time is going to be prioritized by things that get me to the next level of my life, which is my business and my family and Colorado and growth and so on and so forth. So you're always going to have access to me. I'm never going to forget about you. I'm always going to be here, but I think this is just really um, an acknowledgement of understanding that it might not be in five minutes, which it used to be, as soon as my phone notification went off, I was on top of it. And I've gotten much better about it over the last couple of, I would say months, maybe even almost a year now. And I'm the best I've ever been. But sometimes it still gives me massive fear and anxiety because it makes it makes me feel unprofessional or makes me feel like you probably worry that I don't think about you or that I don't care about getting back to you. But it's not that at all. It's just becoming the best version of me, the best mommy of me, the best partner I can be when I make sure that I prioritize my identification markers, which, you know, is every hat that you have, mom, sister, entrepreneur, maybe it's husband, whatever, you know, of course you identify as. But business used to be a huge hat that I wore, a huge hat, the 10 gallon hat that I wore while, you know, being, um, being a stay-at-home mom was a visor and now those hats have reversed. So I hope that visual made sense for you. So again, I'm here um, and I love you and I will always get back to you. And I just appreciate the space and time that you give me to live my life and do all the things that I love equally because they're all just as important to me and um, really take that with you and know that uh, you can do that for you as well. Live your best life, I suppose. So I'm going to go ahead and roll out and I will be back next week. I just want to make you uh, another note real quick too. I have a list of podcast guests I'm about to text right now to see if they will hit us up for some summer series podcasts. Um, I think they'll be really fantastic and see what we can do to get some exposure out to some more stories and information. But if you have anything that you would like for me to cover or you'd like to be a podcast guest, it is 100% free to share your story all up in here, okay? So reach out to me and let me know. Maybe we can set up a date to do one of those together and you can get your story out there for other people to connect as well. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you more than you know. You validate the crap out of everything that I do and everything I love about what I'm doing. So I appreciate y'all very very much i'm gonna go ahead and wrap up and say stay in hap well i'm gonna go ahead and wrap up my ending and mess it up but i'll stay say stay happy stay healthy and wash your hands goodbye